All right, what's up guys, Ryan here. Hope you guys are doing well and cranking away on training. This is uh, episode number four of the Run Free podcast. Uh, We're kind of working our way through our five-finger approach to training. And this is uh, the 1% is what I'm gonna talk about today. Just a real quick kind of overview of, you know, what is the 1%, what fits in there. Um, I'm gonna talk about weights, I'm gonna talk about stretching, ice baths, massage, self-massage, compression, supplements, cross-training, sensory deprivation tank, water therapy, shoes, heart rate monitors and strides so we got a lot of a lot of ground to cover so um and there was uh i put an episode up that was the one percent so if you caught that there was like two or three days um where that was up and then i realized i made a technical mistake and had to end up re-recording it which is what this is um but if you heard that original episode you're good there's no new content here there wasn't any content that i was leading people astray with it was just a technical mistake i made so had to re re uh redo the podcast um but you're good you don't need to to re-listen to this so um we've gotten through uh rest fuel the internal today's the one percent and then the next episode will be on training just general training principles and then after that one drops then we'll kind of really kind of focus on what this podcast is supposed to be focused on and that's what's going on what's going on inside your head your heart your mind how do you get the most out of out of your body through addressing needs of your emotions and your spirit and your mind um so that's that's gonna be i'm excited as you know it's been fun doing the five fingers um, but i'm really excited to kind of move into that area of focus that this podcast is designed to be um so anyways let's hop straight into the one percent because we've got a lot of ground to cover uh, so weights, that's the first thing And real quick before I do that, I should say, you know, we call this the 1% and there's a whole, whole bunch of things though, as I look in what makes up the 1% for us, and this is not an exhaustive list by any means. Like there's a lot more things I could talk about than just this list, but I think these things are the ones that are the most relevant to uh, myself and my experience. Uh, past experience as a pro runner and also to you guys as athletes that you'll have the most access to and things that we'll be prescribing and training. Um, but some of these things can make a lot bigger difference than just 1% difference. Uh, for example, I'm talking about shoes here in a little bit. Um, if you know something about your shoes that helps you not get hurt, that's the difference between, I mean, that's a hundred percent difference because you're not on the starting line. If you're hurt, (laughs) you know, like if you're healthy, you're on the starting line. So, um, you know, shoes can make that difference. Same with weight training. Like it can, we can literally add, um, a very small amount of length to everything single stride and think about if every single stride you take how many strides do you take in a marathon you add a little bit of length to every single stride you're running a lot faster and it makes even a bigger difference than a one percent difference so you know we realize these things can be game-changing things but we just want them to fit inside of this one percent category because we want your guys focus to primarily um be on no one of these one things it's, we want you to see it as like these are things that are going to add to my program but not things to where um if i don't do them i'm going to self-combust you know like i just know for myself as a pro runner like i was kind of overwhelmed by all the stuff i felt like i needed to be doing when really like i just needed to be doing a couple things really well rather than like spending all day doing all these different reco- recovery modalities and um and stuff that i'm talk about in this category so it's like 
we just want this 1% category to take up a small sliver of your energy pie and your time pie. Like we want this stuff to be rightfully where it should be and yet be effective and maybe be able to keep you from getting hurt or add some length to your strides, uh, your stride, like uh, I was talking about previously. So that's why I call it the 1%. So I just wanted to kind of frame it with that before I hopped into it. Um, but going into weights, I love talking about weights now because I've grown so much in this category, you know, having retired from running, getting super into weight training and, uh, and being able to feel now the difference between, uh, the power of my legs when I was a pro runner and how fast I could sprint, you know, and I used to focus on the 1500 meters um, when I was in high school in my first couple years in college. So I was focused on developing my sprint speed, um, but I wasn't trying to do that in the weight room. I was more trying to do that via training and um, never really got that fast. That always seemed kind of like a limiting factor for me where my foot speed just wasn't good enough to be world-class. It certainly wasn't good enough to be world-class um, on the track where, you know, in 10,000 meters, they're closing in 53 seconds, sometimes faster than that. And, you know, my top in 400 meter speeds, 51. So, um, you have a very hard time competing. You're very limited by, by your foot speed. If, if you're not really, really fast. So, um, that was just something I always had a really hard time getting faster despite doing plyometrics and, um, sprint specific training and stuff like that. And I was doing some stuff in the weight room, but I wasn't lifting heavy and that's kind of what I want to start with with weights it's this is what I've experienced and obviously like try stuff for you see what works for you Um, but I think this is also just one of those principles that's like most people like unless you're lifting heavy um, you're not going to see a ton of strength adaptation and you're probably not going to notice a ton of difference um, I know like I didn't notice any difference from the stuff I was doing in the weight room like I couldn't be like oh man like my I feel a lot of power in my legs like I feel now like I never had that sensation when I was running professionally because I wasn't lifting heavy I was squatting but squatting with like 95 pounds now you know I'm squatting with 350 pounds usually i'm working out with like 315 and i feel a ton of power in my legs so but that came from using a lot of weight and you look at power lifters like those guys are not lifting light like they're lifting really low rep really heavy and they're getting super super strong so we need to make sure that obviously your form is on point and i'm gonna talk more and more about that here in a little bit um but we do need to try and try and gradually, gradually, like obviously starting light. So your body gets the movement pattern down, your forms on point, like we want to get you to the point where you're ready to add weight. But once you're to that point, you need to continue to find a way to add weight to the bar and, and, and be lifting heavy for you. You know, it doesn't have to be heavy for me or anyone else, but it needs to be heavy for you. And I think you'll see a nice, nice response. Um, if you really focus on like increasing weight as, as you're in the weight room, um, over, over time, I think you'll notice a huge difference, um, in feeling power in your legs. I think you'll also notice a huge difference hormonally. Um, you know, 
running is so catabolic. It's just, it's very hard on the hormonal system of the body. Um, whereas weight training is, is the exact opposite. It's very anabolic in nature and it's going to do good things for our hormones and it's going to help kind of balance out the catabolic nature of running. So super, super important, even just for that alone, just the hormonal aspect. Um, weight training is really, really important for distance runners. Um, so what exercises do I like? What exercises do I prescribe? My favorite, and you know, I'm totally stealing this from Ryan Haggerty, um, who worked over at Nike and I believe he worked with a lot of NFL athletes as well. I think he was saying, I listened to a podcast on him a a long time ago. So I might kind of mess up some of the reflecting back some of the information but um i do remember he's saying he was doing a lot of experimentation trying to figure out with sprinters in particular what being strong in the weight room for various exercises did it actually correlate to running faster on the track so if one you know if one guy can squat more than another guy does that mean he's most likely faster on the track and he's having a really hard time finding an exercise where it's like yeah like this will give you a really good idea of where you're at sprinting by how much you can lift with this movement Um, until he found the hex bar deadlift and he found a very strong correlation with that where the guys who are moving the most weight are running the fastest on the track and i found that to be super super interesting Um, and i was already doing a lot of hex bar deadlift before that um and had noticed a ton of power in my legs and you know i'd been doing other leg exercises as well so it wasn't just i couldn't just isolate that one variable of the hex bar deadlift but i was just noticing so much more power in my legs um now compared to when i was running professionally so i'm a huge fan of the hex bar deadlift i like it for a number of reasons Um, number one it it loads up your low back a lot less than a traditional deadlift like the positioning of it's better and real quick if you don't know the hex bar deadlift is it looks like it's a hexagon shaped bar um and then you put weights on the side of it has handles on it and you grab the handles and you're essentially just powering through the ground and um with your heels and you're exploding up and uh and yeah use you're really driving hard with your glutes it's a little bit hard to describe weights over (laughs) a podcast but um if you're curious just google it and see and uh, a million videos will come up so uh yeah hex bar deadlift definitely my favorite i always tell my athletes if you can only if you only have time to do one lift do it do the hex bar deadlift. Like it will take you like 10 minutes. Um, you do bust out four sets and you're good. Um, I just think it's really, really important. And why I think that is because runners tip, especially distance runners, um, typically have underdeveloped glutes. That's a very common or have a lot of glute issues in general, but I know like my glutes were really underdeveloped as a pro runner. Um, and this, you know, just hits your glutes in a really running specific way where it's about popping your hips and getting a full hip extension and much in the same way that when you contact the ground, we want you pushing off the ground, pushing through the ground, being powerful in your contact with the ground. And this is all reinforced with the hex bar deadlift. So um huge huge fan of that lift usually i put that lift first and how i do things with my athletes is it is important that you prioritize the lifts that you want to get the most out of by putting them 
first. So, you know, I want my athletes to follow the list of exercises that I have in order because I know that like as we go down, we're going to get less and less benefit from it because your body's already fatigued going into it. So um, usually hex bar deadlift is first. Sometimes I'll put half squat first, which is the next one that I want to talk about half squat. Um, huge fan of this one as well. And the reason why I like half squat over full squat, and when I say half squat, I mean really like not loading up the low back very much at all so it's probably even more like it it's like a less than a half squat you know it's like it's like a quarter squat or maybe a little bit further than a quarter squat but not not loading up that low back like i'll watch my athletes do this and then when i see their uh low back starting to take more and more of a load i'm like okay stop there and back up and then i'll never have them go that to that depth where i can just see their lower back being loaded pretty heavy um, and the reason why I like this lift is number one, you can use a lot more weight, which, you know, I've already talked about is, is really, really important for a number of reasons. Um, and it's just more specific movement to running. Like when in running, are you ever fully squatted down? Like never. And I realize, like, you know, you can, you're getting greater range of strengthening with the muscle and all that but really like we're looking to make you guys faster runners and i'm not as concerned about like developing i want to develop the muscles that are specific to running and the half squat totally does that and it keeps you from getting hurt um you know i actually got hurt training for the beijing olympics uh in the weight room and it wasn't like a like i couldn't run anymore kind of hurt but it was just something that um kind of i i hurt my patella tendon doing some full squats there and it bothered me you know all my training for beijing and then in the games itself and just kind of one of those annoying little uh, hurts that didn't need to be there, you know? So I always tell athletes like, just use your head when you're in the weight room and use logic, you know, like I've been lifting like crazy for four years now, super heavy, really high volume. And I have never gotten hurt, uh, because I just don't, and I just use my head. Like I'm in my garage lifting by myself. You know, I don't have, I've never had a coach walk me through a workout or anything, but it's more just like, I feel my own body and I'm body aware. And if I go, down and it doesn't feel right i know i need to i need to switch up my form i need to tweak this maybe i need to bring my toes a little bit out if i'm squatting maybe i need to focus on driving my knees out if i'm squatting like i know like okay i gotta change the way i'm doing this lift because it doesn't feel right and that's something that's really really important i mean obviously um the best thing would be to have a strength coach walk you through these exercises just make sure that they know like you're doing this to become a faster runner not to become a super strong human being at doing full depth squats because they're not going to prescribe a half squat if you walk into a gym and you're like hey i want to get my legs stronger like they're not going to have you do half squats they're going to have you do full squats but again that's not not what we're looking to do we're trying to make you guys faster in a specific way um so yeah half squat would be the next one that that i'd say is the, the next most important one and i love um single single leg 
um, movement. So, um, step ups is one of my favorites. I love step ups because I know I had a lot of problems with my glute med throughout my career and a lot of pro runners do. Um, that's kind of a, a problem area, not just pros. Like I think every, every runner, you know, has had some problem there. Cause that thing is used a lot for stability as your foot's contacting the ground on one foot. And it's, it can be kind of a tricky area to strengthen. So I really like the step up for that. Um, step ups also hit your quads pretty hard which i think is is really important for distance runners obviously um but it just it does a nice job of work working on hip extension you know popping your hips up and uh and also yeah hitting that glute med because as you go down in that eccentric phase you're gonna feel your knee wanting to drift in you're gonna feel that glute med having to fire to stabilize so it's really really important on the step ups that you do it slowly so how i like to have my athletes do it is like explode up but then on the eccentric phase the the lowering phase like going down as slow as you can and you'll literally like feel your glute med like twitching on you trying to balance and stabilize and that is just such a great strengthening um, moment for your glute med. If you're not familiar with the glute med is, it's just like a portion of your glute um, that runs along the top, well, right below your hips, and it runs uh, from side to side and connects in your hip, I believe. I don't know. I'm not a physiology major, but I know know where it is because I've I've heard it so many times and I can feel it. Um, so anyways, I love the step up for that. And then the last exercise I'd recommend is, uh, one that I I like it for strength gains, but also I like it just to prevent injuries. And that is toe raises and single leg toe raises. I usually have my athletes just holding a dumbbell. And by the way, uh, we're going to have videos of all these that are going to come out and I'm going to demonstrate all these exercises to you guys. So this is a little bit like a lot of information to take in. I don't, you guys don't need to furiously be taking notes on this stuff. Um, I'm going to go through all this stuff in form of videos with you guys. So, so don't, don't worry about, you know, totally understand. I'm trying to kind of paint a picture right now, a general overview, but anyways, toe raises, um, just like it strengthen that lower leg, you know, how many athletes have had problems in their feet, their ankles, their Achilles, like that can be a pretty um, problematic area. So really important that we strengthen that we hit that. And, uh, and again, I like going really slow on the centric portion of that lift. And I, that's, that's pretty true in general, where I like to explode up and then do like, say three, four, three to four count on the way back down on step up, maybe even a little bit slower than that if you can, where you're going four and even five seconds on the way back down. So those are the four exercises I'd recommend. Uh, One thing to remember with weights, my athletes know this. um, If you don't, they need to be done on your hard run days, which I totally understand like presents a logistical challenge for most um, athletes because those, well, those working athletes, because, you know, the workout obviously requires more time than just an easy run. And then you got to also find a way to fit in weights. I understand that can be challenging. And uh, that's why one of the videos that, that I'll be recording is how to do a gym free um, exercise routine for when you travel or when you're just like, like, it's just not in the cards. I can't get to the gym today. Like I have the, take the kids around or whatever you're doing, you know, so totally aware of that. Um, but 
they, they, it's really important that we're not stressing your body with a run workout one day and then the next day coming back and stressing it with a weight workout. Like I totally understand why you'd feel like doing that because after a hard run workout, I usually do not feel like lifting, but I think you'll find that it actually helps you to recover and helps your legs to recover. Like you're going to have to kind of force yourself into the gym. But then once you're there, you should feel better as you go. And I think walking out of the gym, you'll actually feel really good, like energy-wise, and your legs will feel better. Um, I actually noticed this when I did the World Marathon Challenge, you know, the sub-marathon, seven days, seven continents. And I was doing, uh, you know, weight routines, uh, just upper body weights after every single marathon. And I was doing that just, I was trying not to lose like too much upper body strength because I wasn't into, into, uh, running anymore. I was into weight training. I didn't want to lose too much during that week. But I was shocked by the fact that like I'd be like hobbling down into the weight room after these marathons and then I'd walk out of the gym feeling much, much better and like noticing my legs just felt like they were had recovered a lot from just doing upper body weights. So, you know, anything that promotes blood flow is going to help you recover faster. So hopping in the weight uh, weight room um, can really help you guys kind of kick off that recovery process plus we're going after those strength adaptations that we're going for. But try and make sure you do it after your workouts. If you don't get it in, just scratch it and try and figure out a way to fit it in before the next next time around that you have a workout. So only, only on hard days are we doing weights. All right, I just spent a whole bunch of time on weights, but I promise I'm going to fly through these other things a lot quicker. Um, next one is stretching. And, you know, there's a lot, you know, this historically has been kind of like a issue of uncertainty with runners. I know for myself, like I was always just telling myself, oh, you need to be stretching more, you need to be stretching more. And it's been days and days like doing static stretching, trying to touch my toes and really not seeing a lot of improvement with it. And learned a lot about this um, from my therapist that I would use when I was running professionally, John Ball. He's down in Phoenix, amazing uh, therapist. I can't even describe the work that he does, really, because number one, it's always evolving. He's always getting better and changing things. Um, but number two, it's just it's kind of unlike anything else. But tons and tons of pro runners go down and see him. Um, he's just kind of a secret weapon here um, in in the uh, in Arizona, not too far from where we are Um, but anyways he taught me a lot about stretching and how it's actually good to have tension in your legs so think about it this way when you have a slinky if it's like a really loose slinky you know like uh and you have go down the stairs it's gonna go down really slow right but if you have a tight slinky it's gonna go down it's just gonna pop down the stairs you know pop 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 and uh and that's how kind of there's a certain amount of truth to that in our legs and that we want some tension in your legs so when it contacts the ground it you don't just gumby down into the ground and then have to go all the way down and come all the way back up and we want that tension so that it's like a tight spring so when you hit the ground your muscles are somewhat tight and can pop off the ground quickly so it's not bad to be tight as a distance runner. Obviously, we want you moving, having full range of motion for you, 
But the goal is not to become Gumby. The goal is to have full range of motion. And I would argue that the way to get full range of motion is through therapy. It's through ART. It's through massage and, and these things. Like I think you'll find greater benefit from doing that than from doing static stretching. With that said, you know I, I played with yoga briefly during my career. And, and I really liked it. And I felt good coming out of there. But I just found it to be like just another thing that I had to put into my schedule, another thing that had, that was taking up an hour of my day or however long, you know, and, uh, just found it to be kind of draining on me more like mentally than anything. So I cut it out and I didn't really notice a big difference when I cut it out. So, you know, with that said, like if you're into yoga, if you, that makes you feel better, like hundred percent, like keep doing that, you know, like I'm not going to tell you like to, to knock something out of your program that's helping you feel better. And only you know that, you know, I can't tell you if yoga is going to make you feel better or not. Um, But I would say this, the general principle of stretching is like, do dynamic stuff uh, prior to races prior to running. And I have a whole dynamic routine that I'll be sending out a video about showing you guys that. Um, And then if you want to do static stretching, do that at the conclusion of your run, uh, the conclusion of your race. And if you feel better doing that stuff, then by all means do that. But I also want to give you guys permission. Like if you don't notice any difference with static stretching, like cut it out. Like don't waste your time doing that. Like I give you full permission to never stretch again. If, if when you do it, you don't feel like it helps you. Um, just as long as you're doing some something to make sure that you are working out the adhesions in your legs, you are getting full range of motion. Um, like we need to be doing something to ensure that that is happening. So it's not complete neglect. It's just figuring out what's going to be the most effective way for you to have that full range of motion with your legs. And, you know, I'm going to talk more in this podcast about things you can do to do that. Uh, next thing I want to talk about was ice baths. And, and it's funny to think back on this because I can remember like after every single hard workout, you know, going into the, um, what's it called? The therapy room or whatever at Stanford and doing these ice baths afterwards. And it's super cold and you just feel you're just freezing for like hours afterwards, but you're like, Oh, it's helping me recover. You know, I got to like bear it. And, uh, and then now, you know, the science is always coming out about these things and I'm always a little bit leery to let science totally dictate what I'm doing because like I said, the best measure is your body and trying things and seeing how it works for you and sticking with those things. Like, that that trumps science every time for me, you know, but I can remember doing these ice baths and, uh, you know, mammoth when I was running professionally, we'd always hop in this cold Creek right after uh, hard long runs. But then there's been a lot of science that's come out that's showing that it's actually better to do that on your easy run days, not on your hard run days and specifically not right after your hard run days. And the science makes a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, it's just, we want your body the science is we, your body needs to react to the trauma, the stress that you've just caused on the whole thing. Like your body needs to re- react to that first. And you don't want something else to take that away without your body reacting to that stress and coming in and starting to do the repair itself. It's almost like you're delaying the process of repair when you're doing things like massage and ice bath directly after your workout. So it's just a really easy thing to be like, all right, like I'm just going to 
do my ice bath on my easy day the next day. And so that's that's what I'd recommend um, to you guys is is just doing that ice bath on the easy days. But like I said, you know, try it. If you love doing it, ice baths after after uh, hard runs, like go for it. Same thing with cryotherapy, you know. I've seen science on both sides, you know, like some stuff showing that they don't do anything. Cryotherapy doesn't do anything. Some science showing that, you know, it's like miraculous. And again, like go try it, see how it works for you. But I will say this with trying things on yourself, and especially with recovery stuff like cryotherapy, like don't just pay attention to how you feel walking out of there. Cause I'd imagine I've never done it, but I'd imagine you're going to feel amazing walking out of there, but pay attention to how do I feel the next day and the next day after that, like, did it actually help me recover better or did it just help me feel good right away? Cause those are two different things. And we want to make sure that we're doing things that are helping us recover, not just things that are making us feel better in that moment. So really really important that with all this stuff when you're trying it out you pay attention and and very very close attention to the days after that workout and the days after that cryotherapy session or massage so uh, that is the next thing i want to talk about was massage and self-massage i did a ton of self-massage when um i was i was running professionally and this will be a uh, I'll definitely do some videos on self-massage technique because I learned a lot just by experimenting on myself in this category and um, definitely will be easier for me to show you guys on a video than to talk about it here. So I'm not going to talk necessarily about how to do it. Um, but again, the principle with massage and self-massage is try to do it the day after a hard workout, not the day of. So we want your body to have to react to that stress um, and not have the massage take away some of that inflammation without your body having to do any of that recovery. So um, I did get massage a lot throughout my career. I think it is worth investing in. I think it can help you from getting hurt. Um, if you can swing one massage a week, I think that'd be ideal. Um, but, you know, and make sure it's deep tissue massage, like going into a lot of these like I don't know. I've just had a lot of weak sauce massages over the years that were just, I mean, it felt good, but didn't really notice a difference from it. You know, like you need someone getting in there pretty deep. And most, most massage therapists that are working on Olympic athletes, they're doing that. You know, they're going with some pretty deep, pretty heavy work and it's, it's painful. And it's not necessarily, you know, I'd always tell people like, oh, I've got a massage this afternoon. They're like, oh, nice. That's going to be like relaxing. I'm like, eh, I kind of, I'm kind of like wiggling around on the table the whole time. But that's how you know it's a good massage. And same thing, you know, that principle applies for self-massage as well. You know, like I see a lot of people just kind of like going back and forth on this roller. And I can just tell like it's not really getting in there very deep, not really doing a whole lot, you know. And I can tell because they never have a grimace on their face they're just like laughing watching tv and like like it, it should hurt it actually reminds me of acupuncture one time i got um in philly i was like in a bad way before the philly half marathon like i couldn't even do strides before the race like little sprints you know and uh so i just walked into this like sketch chinatown 
uh, acupuncture place and uh, this like old school chinese guy the old dude comes and starts sticking needles in my hamstring i tell him about the problem or whatever and uh and i would just be you know he'd hit the spot and i'd be like jumping off the table and that's how he knew he was like hitting the right spot and then uh you know i'd be laying there and i'd be like just about to fall asleep on the table like five minutes later and then come back in and then he'd just like twist the the needles you know and then i'd be like jumping off the table again and he's like you have to feel it that was a really bad accent. I don't know what what who what that was, but <laughs> in the Chinese accent, he's like, "You have to feel it," and uh, that's really true. I think it's true with with a lot of this stuff. Like, if it's if you don't feel it, you're probably not getting in there to it. And actually, acupuncture is something I could have and should have probably put in this one percent category because um, it can be one of those ways to um, get through an injury. Like the next day at Philly, I ran the half marathon, one ran one of my best half marathons I've ever run and never felt my hamstring again. So there are certain injuries in particular where acupuncture can just kind of open up all those, I think they call them meridians, lines of meridian or something like that, just opens everything up and all of a sudden you're good. You know, um, It can be a really good quick fix that's certainly worth trying with a lot of different injuries. So um, I did quite a bit of acupuncture throughout my career and something that I would recommend trying. Um, so that is massage, self-massage and acupuncture. I want to talk about compression a little bit. You know, I mentioned the world marathon challenge and um it's funny when i did that this last time this last time i've only done it once and will only do it once <laughs> but when i did that i was so burned on like all these things i'm talking to you guys right now because i spent so much time trying to do all this stuff and you know trying to do too much and i was just sick of like always putting on compression tights when i get it on an airplane and stuff and i was like and i'm not doing any of that stuff you know probably a bad time to decide to do that when you're gonna fly around the world in one week and be running marathons every day but uh, i was just like i'm over all that recovery stuff like i'm just gonna run you know and let it be what it's gonna be so you know long story short landing in sydney on day seven i remember looking at my ankle and it looked like an elephant ankle it just been getting like increasingly fatter and fatter all throughout the week and i didn't even realize it until that moment that actually like that swelling can cause pain and discomfort and give you uh not a lot of mobility obviously in there that's what swelling does it takes away your mobility in the area um, but man, my ankles were killing me. Like I had to get like, like a massage therapist that was there on the trip with us, like was working on it, trying to just flush some of that stuff out. But my ankles were fat for a long, long time after that. And so I was like, that was, that was stupid. <laughs> so, um, compression can definitely make a difference, especially for you guys who travel a lot, especially if you travel internationally, definitely get some tight fitting compression stuff, you know, like probably like getting like the compression socks that they have at the airport are probably not going to do the trick like you need something pretty pretty solid and pretty tight pretty firm um but that that's huge um and then you know obviously normatec is another thing that's popular in the compression category and i did a lot of that and that was fun to do you know you're watching a movie you just throw on these normatec boots and again it's one of those things where you feel really good coming out of it um whether or not i felt better as a result of it the next day 
I still, I couldn't tell you with any certainty. Like it might've helped, it might not. Like it wasn't like game changer, you know? So like things like that, like Normatec, it's like, yeah, if you have access to it and it's easy and it's fun, like sure, go for it, you know? But don't like go to great lengths to find some recovery clinic and pay, you know, $300 a week to go sit in a Normatec for three days a week or something like that's that's not what we're after like um you know find find what works for you and there's a lot of different things on this list of things that can work uh for recovery in particular um so that's compression uh, in terms of compression in actual racing so i know this is a thing you see you know paul radcliffe kind of started the thing with the compression socks during marathon training and uh yeah, like I think that can be, you know, obviously worked for Paula. I don't know if the socks actually made her faster or not, but she ran super fast in them, right? So, um, again, one of those things, like try it out. If you love it, stick with it. If you don't notice the difference, like don't just keep doing it to do it, you know, or don't just keep doing it because scientifically they're shown to increase performance by 4%. I can't tell you how many, like, emails and instagram messages and stuff like that i've gotten of like these things that supposedly increase performance like four percent or ten percent or increases your vo2 max like five percent if you see stuff like that like i'm always super leery even and, and they have science like experiments that supposedly back these things up but I'm always really, really skeptical of those things um, because they usually do not deliver uh, what they say they're delivering. Um, So, yeah, with the compression stuff, try it out. If you're not loving it, uh, move on, do something. Don't, Don't do it. All right, next one I want to talk about is supplements. And uh, for myself, (laughs) the only supplement that I can tell you I actually felt a difference with um, would be caffeine. So, like, I would have coffee 90 minutes, 90 minutes to 75 minutes prior to the start of my race, like, every i started with my senior year at stanford doing that and i don't think i after i started doing that i don't think i ever did a race uh without having caffeine on board so um you know that just it, there's a lot a lot a lot of science behind caffeine and how how it can help you but again it's something where like try it in training do not like have never had a sip of caffeine in your life and then decided to take a caffeine tablet prior to your race and like you could have uh you know a reaction that's not helping you run faster so make sure you try it in training first but the timing of it's really really important like a lot of people say if like you're running a marathon that starts later say it starts at noon or (coughs) something like that um, don't get up and have your coffee at 6 a.m. six hours prior to the start of your race. Like, make sure that you're drinking that at a time that you're going to get your peak benefit from the energy increase um, while you're racing. You know, we don't want you at your peak energy while you're sitting on the bus going out to the starting line. So timing is super, super important with caffeine. Make sure 75 minutes to 90 minutes prior to marathons. And the good thing is that helps kind of, you know, clear you out. And so I never had to stop to use a restroom when I was running marathons, largely because I was having caffeine before and it just kind of flushed everything out, especially because I wasn't super sensitive to it because I was only taking it like three days a week. 
Um, so caffeine is definitely the only supplement that I've actually felt a noticeable difference from, but I want to be careful here and not like say like it's not worth taking supplements for the long term benefits and just overall health, you know, like I realize everyone's going to have kind of their own view on, on supplements and what's effective. Um, but yeah, some of the ones that I like, um, I really like omegas and just really high um, anti-inflammatory style um, natural supplements, turmeric, uh, ginger, garlic, like all these things are really, really high anti-inflammatory um, supplements that you can take that just... I think are just healthy for your body. But again, we don't want to be taking these supplements right after hard workouts. We want to be taking it at night, say before you go to bed, or we want to give some space between your hard work. And when we introduce these exogenous anti-inflammatory recovery aiding elements. Um, so yeah, I also like BCAAs, branch chain amino acids. I think these are super important, especially for runners. You know, I mentioned it being so catabolic and oftentimes, you know, we're eating into our muscle supply, um, and that causes us to get weaker, less powerful, generate less force through the ground and get slower. So, um, protein intake, I talked about in the nutrition thing is super, super important, but something that can aid to that is branch chain amino acids, um, to just give your muscles the building blocks it needs to build and sustain muscle when you're doing a really catabolic event and kind of tops things off nicely. So that was something that I'd use kind of, um, throughout my, my career as a pro runner. And let's see if I had anything else on there. Um, I mean, salt, I know that's kind of a thing. And electrolytes, I I just always went by feel on this, you know, and I know a lot of runners do where it's like just salt your food like pretty heavy. Um, I know that can be a health issue for some, but um, I just always just pay attention to my body and never, you know, had any electrolyte or salt issues. So, you know, on that, like I'd have to defer to your specialist, your nutritionist or um, <clears throat> what I'd really recommend Oh, sorry. Uh, What I'd really recommend is is getting some blood work done by a company that then will analyze your blood work because this is above my pay grade. I can't personally do this myself, but there are companies out there, and I don't have a specific recommendation um, because I haven't done this myself. But just makes a ton of sense to me. Like find a company that's really reputable. Have them take a look at your blood work and recommend supplements based on what they're seeing in the blood work. And then have them make sure that they like actually explain why um, they're recommending the supplements that they're recommending. Um, I think that, that would be kind of the gold standard where you can find the supplements that are actually going to be helpful for you, that are actually really important for you. So I'm going to kind of leave that at that for the supplement category. Obviously, we could go into a lot more depth on that. But uh, honestly, um, this category is a little bit out side of my 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 expertise you know i can talk about a couple things that work for me but i'm by no means you know a doctor so um let's move on to cross training and this is something where i was not good at cross training at all during my pro running career um but now like i just see man i just kind of missed the boat on it like i could have saved myself from a lot of injuries because what i would do is i'd feel something kind of coming on you know you can kind of feel injuries coming on and i would just press and just keep running through it because i thought if i had to start cross training I was just going to lose all my fitness and it was just all going to be like downhill from there, you know, and that was such a wrong mindset to have because I really believe like you can 
get stronger by cross training because you can do things in cross training that you can't do running. Like you can go hard almost every single day cross training because you don't have the impact and the pounding on the body. And so I think you can actually like build your aerobic base and make it a lot bigger by way of cross training as long as you see it that way. And as long as you're investing in it that way and you're pouring yourself into it, like getting on an elliptical and like reading a book is fine for an easy day. But if you are hurt and running i mean and not running like you need and need to be getting in hard work like you got to be going after it the same way you'd be going after your running with the same kind of intensity and that's why heart rate's a really really important thing for cross training is paying attention to your heart rate because it's really really easy i know for myself to hop on an elliptical and just start going and you know part like half hour into it i see my heart rate's like 90 i'm like uh this is probably not doing a whole lot like i probably just wasted the whole last half hour i was on here um so just pay attention to heart rate when you're when you're doing um cross training and and also don't don't be shy to like mix things up with cross training too. Like I think I always felt like I had to sit on an elliptical or whatever and just stay on that same machine for the hour that I was going to be on there, the hour and a half I was going to be on there. Like don't feel like you have to do that. Like go from machine to machine, like switch it up a little bit, like keep it fun. Like it's so, so important that training is always fun, even when we're hurt. And obviously cross training is probably less fun than actually going for a run or at least it is for most. Um, but try and find a way to like keep it fun listen to some good music watch a good funny movie whatever you need to do but just make sure that you are staying focused you are staying engaged and you are keeping your heart rate in that right right zone um all right so we're gonna talk about sensory deprivation tanks i don't know if you guys have seen these before it's kind of a new kind of up and coming thing and all it is is like a tank that's like sometimes they put lights in them but like the one i went in is just pitch black and it's just filled with uh warm water but not like hot water with a ton of salt in it so you just float in this water it's a really trippy feeling i guess it's supposed to feel like a baby in the womb or something like that and uh, i remember that going into my first one first time i did it and being like i'm gonna hate this like uh, my mind is always all over the map i'm always doing stuff like i'm rarely just sitting down doing nothing and i thought i was gonna go crazy you know but i hopped in there and that half an hour just flew by and i felt so relaxed so like de-stressed coming out of there so um that can be really really important aspect of training is we're doing a lot of things to stress your body you know but we need to balance that out with like how do we de-stress your body and de-stress not just the physical what's going on your body but you know like the stresses you're bringing home from work and with the family and relationships and all these other stresses that that can really weigh you down physically when you're training and just weigh you down in life in general that aren't fun to carry around which is why things like sensory deprivation tanks prayer meditation like these are all ways for us to de-stress and to unload some of this baggage that kind of gets put on us whether like i said we're at work or with the family or um, whatever's going on in our lives like really really important part of recovery is this de-stressing um so i really like sensory deprivation tanks if you have the opportunity to try one i definitely recommend trying it um especially you know going into a race that'd be a great thing to do maybe not the day before the race but two days before the race or just sometime on race week hop in one of these tanks and just like 
like totally like de-stress um super super helpful so i'm a, I'm a big fan i also like epsom salt baths that's kind of the poor man's version and we'll do this all the time um where i'd go to the store buy some epsom salt from like cvs or whatever pour a couple bags in a um, bathtub and and not make the water super hot just make it warm and just sit in there and like read a book for 30 minutes great de-stressor um felt like the salts kind of like aided in recovery um and just balanced out the ice baths too because um, they're a lot more fun than ice baths by the way on the ice baths um the temperature if you're not sure like say like you're making ice bath at your house and you have a thermometer you can measure the temperature of the water ideal is 55 which is it's cold like that feels cold but we don't want to go colder than that so make sure that if you are doing this at home ice baths make sure that you are checking the temperature on that because we don't want you uh get frostbite or something from my ice bath all right uh next one and we're almost through it guys just a couple more uh water therapy um I had played around a lot with this. I remember at Stanford, I'd oftentimes go down to the pool and just had a little kickboard and I'd just kind of like flutter kick for 15 minutes in a pool. And again, I really liked how it made my legs feel. I felt like it really helped help aid recovery significantly. So if that's easy for you, maybe you, your house, you have a pool, like that could be a great thing to do, say in place of like like uh, yoga or in place of uh, static stretching, you could just hop in your pool do a little bit of kicking on a kickboard for 15 minutes and not hard you know just like just flutter kicking the whole time like I was never out of breath when I was doing that and just see how that feels you know see if you feel better hopping out of there see if you feel better the next day on your run um just just kind of another um uh, tool we can use to aid in recovery uh next one I want to talk about is shoes and what I want to talk about with this is well, a number of different things, um, but it's shoes. It's really, really important that we keep those fresh and we keep those good. Like that's, I know like you can kind of geek out on a lot of running equipment now. Um, we have so much accessories and stuff, but really like all you really need is like running clothes and a really good pair of shoes and really good shoes are going to keep you from getting hurt. So how do you get really good shoes? Um, you know, I love Amazon. I buy a whole bunch of stuff on Amazon, but I do not think this is the thing that you should be purchasing on Amazon. Um, I recommend to all my athletes, like go into a specialty running store, have them watch you run, have them help you pick out a shoe that's best for you. Try the shoes on, see how they feel jogging around in the store and, and buy those shoes from them. Um, just super, super important. Cause you know, obviously we can't watch everyone run and I don't even have, a trained enough eye to tell you if you're pronating or supinating and all this stuff but you know at running stores like they're trained to pick that out and and give you the right shoe for you so having that right shoe it can save you from so many injuries and again changing those out before they're really worn um don't don't wait for like the rubber to be coming off uh, to, to change them out. I think general rule of thumb, 300, 350 miles on a pair of shoes is pretty, pretty good. Um, kind of ballpark number to look at and what you can do is you i used to just write the date on my shoe with a sharpie i wrote the date like i started using the shoe so that way i knew about i could approximate about how many miles i had on there um and i also want to talk about you know racing flats um you know these carbon fiber plated shoes or 
um, kind of changed the market, changed the game. You know, like if you see a start line of a race, especially amongst the sub elites that maybe don't have sponsors, shoe sponsors, like almost everyone is in a carbon fiber plated shoe. Um, because they're super, uh, like, I, I think they make a huge difference, you know, like we talked about like being tightly strung and how that's a good thing in your muscles. I think it's also a good thing in your shoes. And it's crazy now, like the other day I was doing weights and I was bending a pair of shoes that I used to race in when I was running professionally. And they're like super flimsy, you know, like really flexible. And I always thought that was good. You know, I always thought, Oh man, yeah. Like these are so flexible. Like I'm feel so good in these. And now shoes are so rigid you know and it's because i think they're learning like the science behind like again having a certain amount of tension when you contact the ground and having a more rigid shoe actually gets you better return out of the ground but i do think you got to be a little bit careful on how you use them so i have noticed um amongst athletes that people do tend to get hurt wearing those shoes if they train in them too often and that's not true for everyone you know i'm not trying to make a blankets blankets whatever you know (laughs) a statement about that but um you know i would just recommend doing maybe a few workouts in them and then racing in them and then not using them at all and then say a month before your biggest race do a couple workouts in them just to make sure your legs are a little bit used to it and then racing them again but if you're doing like every single hard workout in them i think your risk of injury goes really high because the rigidity of the shoe does carry up into your joints and your muscles and your ligaments and problems can happen as a result so just be careful to not train in those too much and also too like even if that even if everything i just said about those shoes is totally not true um just the like you know like having like a have you guys seen that movie free solo and he talks about how he has this one pair of shoes that he saves for when he's free soloing um you know he's climbing el capitan with no ropes and he pulls out like his special shoes you know and he puts these shoes on like like he knows it's game time like like he's he's on you know and it's kind of fun to have something like that when you're racing be like and when i put these on oh now now we're gonna have some fun you know like you know like oh here here it comes you know so it's kind of fun to just have something kind of special little tricks up your sleeve for that all right uh last two heart rate monitors um this is something i've been kind of revisiting a lot lately and i think it's super super important because um we do a lot of threshold running uh in our training uh run free like we're very threshold based program just trying to get you aerobically as strong as possible and uh and oftentimes, and I think for myself, this was true a lot, is I would overrun these threshold runs and be running them, like time trialing them, you know? And uh, I, I think I wasn't always hitting the right zone with that. And also, too, like it's really nice to know, like, so sometimes with my athletes, I won't prescribe paces, I'll prescribe heart rate. And so they know, like, I just got to park it at this heart rate. Like, I don't got to try as hard as I possibly can. I just got to put it in the right zone and just keep it there. And it's not going to be like seeing how deep you can go. You know, it's not, it it holds you back. It's like a governor. Um, So it can be super, super helpful, especially if you like to push really hard in training to have something to hold you back. So, um, um, big fan of heart rate monitors. I know technology has come a long ways with these things with, you know, having it in your wrist. Um, I'm a little bit hesitant to 
trust wrist heart rate at this point. With that said, I haven't seen or personally used um, any of the newer watches uh, with the heart rate monitor stuff. So maybe it's more on than I think, but uh, some of my athletes I coach do use those things and I'll keep an eye on their heart rate. And oftentimes I'm like, yeah, that that's definitely not right. And if it's not right at some point, then you how can you go off of it? Because you don't know if it's right or wrong, you know? So I'm a big fan of uh, chest heart rate straps. It's kind of old school. Um, but I think they're far more accurate in my mind anyways. Um, and you, you know, you can always use the wrist heart rate one and just maybe double check every once in a while, just take your heart rate manually and make sure the two are matching up so that you can develop that trust. So when you look down at your watch and you see heart rate, you believe it's actually right. Um, but yeah, definitely. I'd highly recommend kind of checking that every once in a while. Uh, last thing I want to talk about is strides and, uh, you know, this is something I did all throughout my career. Um, usually I think it was like on Mondays, we do long run on Sunday, Monday would do an easy run. And then in the afternoon after that easy run, we'd be doing short hill sprints or just short strides. Um, for you guys who don't know what strides are, it's basically like sprints, but you're kind of taking the edge off a little bit. So you're not going all out, but they're like pretty hard efforts. Um, so these are super, super important, especially for distance runners. Cause we do so much slow running that reinforces kind of bad mechanics, to be honest. And strides are a chance to like get back that like powerful stride. So really focusing on form when you're doing your strides, being big, tall, open, uh, slight forward lean, not coming from your hips, but just coming from your whole body lean, um, you know, all these things are really, really important and just working on turnover, making sure that you're doing really like, I like doing strides that are like 40 meters, like really short stuff. So you can really focus on turning it over, getting your feet on and off the ground as quick as you can. Um, it's also really important to get you neurologically firing. So, you know, everyone's a little bit different. Pay attention to how you feel the next day after you do strides so say like you know we do our strides on monday and we'd have an interval workout on tuesday like how do you feel doing the strides versus try not doing the strides because sometimes it does kind of like take something away from people's workout and we certainly don't want that but usually the case is it helps you neurologically kind of wake up the body and you usually feel really good and we want to know like when is the best time for you to do strides because as you're backing down previous to your biggest race um you know you're either doing your strides two days before the biggest race or a day before depending on how you feel coming off of those strides so yeah, that's that's it on strides, and that is it on the one percent. I'm sure this is gonna be one of those podcasts where I recorded it, and I think of like a hundred other things I wish I would have talked about. But I'm just gonna let it be how it's gonna be, I guess, because I can't think of anything else right now. Um, but anyway, sorry guys, this one was kind of long, but uh, yeah. Um, Really loving your guys' feedback. Keep that coming. Um, if you're interested in personal coaching, check us out, runfreetraining.com. And until next time, guys, happy training.